Good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Thank you all for being with us in worship today. Whether you're with us here in our traditional worship space in, in person, watching online, or upstairs in our modern worship service, we welcome you in uh, to join together. We have many ways of worshiping, but one church together, and that just brings me lots of joy, and I think that brings God a lot of joy as well. We are in the Christian season of Lent, which is the six-week period that leads into Easter Sunday. And during this season, we are challenged to kind of look at our relationship with God and to ask ourselves a question, how is it with my soul? How is it with your soul? How is it with your relationship and with God? And during this season, uh, as Chris said down here in traditional service, we are using a resource by Pastor Richard Rohr, uh, who is um, a priest, and he believes that our culture is drowning in addictions, that all of us are addicted to something. Some people to alcohol, some people are addicted to work, some people are addicted to drugs, some to, to gambling, some to pornography. Some of us are addicted to things that we might not even think about, like gossip or negative thinking uh, or wanting our way over God's way. Some of us are addicted to pride and to ego. And ultimately, Pastor Rohr says that we are all addicted to sin which the Bible says is missing the mark. We're not living the life that God intends for us to live, that there's something in our life that gets in the way of us living a life that is full. And so if our culture is drowning in these addictions, Father Rohr says that we need to figure out how to breathe underwater. And so he believes that the 12-step process that people use who are addicted to alcohol and gets them to be sober is a biblical process that all 12 those steps can be found in scripture and that if we pay attention to those 12 steps in our lives with our own addictions that they can help us battle our addictions as well and so that's been our approach so far through the season of Lent so to catch us up on what we've talked about so far these are the main points that we've hit so far of those 12 steps uh, the first one is that we admitted we were powerless over something over alcohol over gossip work, pride, or our ego, and that our lives had become unmanageable. Then we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We can't get there on our own. We need some help from God. So then we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. God, we need some help. And we believe in a merciful God, and so we want to turn that over to you. And then we made a searching and a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. These are the things that are going well in my life, and these are the things that I need some help with. This is a challenging step, soul-searching, right, in the season of Lent. And then we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. There's something about confession, right, confessing to ourselves, confessing to God, confessing to someone that we can trust to help us bear the weight of what we have to wrestle with in our lives, and then we were entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. God can't do it on my own. I'm ready for you to help me. So that's kind of where we've been. And so we're going to continue with that today. We're going to jump right in. Last week we talked a little bit about some paradoxes in the Christian faith. One of those paradoxes is that Jesus, we believe, is 100% God and also became 100% human. Right? How is that possible? That seems like a paradox, right? But we believe that, right? And so today I want to look at another thing that, that might be seen as a paradox, and this is, relates to how we talk to God. So I want to go right to Jesus' words today as we think about what it means to pray. 
and to ask God for help in our lives. If God's going to remove some things from our lives, we need to be in a relationship and talk to God. So let's go to Jesus' words themselves in the Gospel of Matthew, written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Jesus teaches us about prayer. So from Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. God says, you can talk to me, you can ask for things, and I will listen to you, and I will grant things to you. And that's very encouraging for all of us to hear that. Let's keep going now. We're going to go a little bit backwards in Matthew uh, with Jesus. And he's talking to his disciples. He says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, right? For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, there's a very specific situation going on here. Jesus is encouraging people to be careful in in what they pray for. But it raises a question to me, and maybe you think this too. If God already knows what we need, and God loves us more than we love ourselves, why do we need to ask? Why doesn't God just give it to us, right? If God already knows what we need, God loves us more than we love ourselves, God can do anything, why is it important for us to ask God? Why, why do we pray? Why do we do that? That's, that's a good question. I think we can wrestle with that a little bit today. Why, why do we ask God for things? Is it because we want to change God's mind? That we want to get God on our side, right? God, we want something. We need you to be on our side. You, you, you need to change your mind, right? Are we, are we trying to manipulate God? Are we trying to control God? Uh, is it a policy that, that the most prayers win? If you have more prayers than other people, then God's going to listen to you uh, and answer your prayer. Or maybe you didn't pray enough so you didn't get what you asked for, right? Why do we pray? Why do we ask God for things? Well, hey, part of prayer is simply, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship, right? It's a discussion. We talk to God, we listen to God. Sometimes we ask God for things, sometimes we don't. It's just a, it's a relationship, right? So prayer is, is a relationship. But this is one point that I want to be sure and make when we talk about prayer. In prayer, we ask not to change God, but to change ourselves, right? Sometimes we ask for things that we don't really need in our lives. We think we want them, but it might not be the best thing for us. So we pray not to change God, but to change ourselves. God, in this situation, let your will be done in our lives. Now, it doesn't mean that we cannot ask for specific things. It, it's important. God says we can ask for specific things, and God answers prayers, right? Usually God says yes, or God says no, or God says not yet. That's not my favorite answer, right? <laughs> You're going to give it to me just not now? Like, come on, God, give that to me. But we also forget that God also answers our prayers by saying I'm with you, I'm with you. Whatever happens in your life, I'm with you. The Holy Spirit is with us. And so whatever happens, we get our way, what we want, or or we ask a prayer and we don't receive the answer that we want, we know that God is with us to answer that prayer and that the Holy Spirit is with us. So it's complicated, but God still encourages us to ask because he wants to be in a relationship and he wants to be able to influence us and to change us. Now, keeping that in mind, let's look at the next step in this process as we battle addiction, our, our so what uh, for the moment. Now we humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings, right? We had those first six steps. We got up to the point that we were willing to ask God for help. Now we ask God to remove our shortcomings. God, I struggle with this. 
I need you to remove this from my life. I'm struggling with this addiction, God. Remove this from my life. Lord, I cannot do this on my own. Right? I, I need some help. I need the answer to be yes. I need you to help me remove this in my life. Right? So we're asking God for some help here. You know, I want you to think about relationships, like your relationships in life. One thing that kind of gets in the way of relationships sometimes is a sense of entitlement, right? That, that you think someone owes you something, or you think that you have the right for them to do something for you, right? You need to do this. I deserve this. I, you owe this to me, right? That can ruin a relationship because it can bring up a lot of resentment, right? If you don't get what you think you deserve, then you're going to be mad at the other person. God, I deserve this in my life. You need to do this in my life. And if not, I'm going to be mad at you, right? I'm entitled for you to do what I want you to do, God. And then on the other side of that, people resent you for assuming that they owe you something. You ever been in that situation, right? That's no fun either, right? So how does God feel when we're trying to put demands on God? So we have to think about this. In our relation, are we trying to manipulate God? Are we going to resent God if we don't get what we think we deserve from God? Right? It, it, it gets complicated. But in, in this situation, surely God wants to remove our shortcomings. So I think that's a good thing. Right? And as we're thinking about prayer, one thing about prayer as we ask God for things is it keeps us humble. And it reminds us when we ask that we are completely dependent upon God, Right? We can't beat our addiction with, by ourselves, so God, we, we need you, right? We are dependent upon you. We're asking you. And if we don't pray to God, if we don't ask God to remove our addictions and our shortcomings, then it means that we're taking ourselves too seriously. I'm going to handle this. I don't need God's help, right? If we don't ask God, if we're not dependent on God, I can beat this addiction in my life on my own, then we're taking ourselves too seriously and we're not being as dependent upon God as, as we need to be, right? Because remember, our addictions are things that we cannot control. We try, but we cannot transform ourselves, whether that's alcohol or whether that's gossip or whether that's our pride or our ego or just negative thinking. We can't do it on our own, so we have to be dependent and we have to humble ourselves and say, God, I don't deserve it, but I need your help. I need you to take this shortcoming from me. Maybe another way to think about it is it's springtime, right? And it's beautiful seeing the flowers come out and the grass growing and all that kind of stuff. Not so excited about the pollen and those of us who have allergies, you know, that's, that's not fun. Not when it starts getting on our cars and you can't get it off and it's just no fun like that. But it is fun to be outside and working in your yard. Anybody been working in your yard recently? And I've, I've been doing that. And I don't know about you, but in my yard, I've got weeds and I've got grass, right? And I want to keep the grass, but I want to get rid of the weeds. And so there's a couple of ways that you can go about doing that, right? One of them is to buy some weed and feed from the local store. And you put the weed and feed out on, on your yard and it helps your grass grow and it kills the weeds it's kind of like magic you know you put it all out there and pretty soon the weeds are going to they're going to turn yellow or white and they're going to just shrivel up and they're going to go away and the grass is going to get thicker it's going to get greener it's like a surgical strike right the grass is doing well and the weeds are dead or you can get something like roundup that kills everything and start spraying the weeds but in the midst of that you kill the grass too right and so there's two different ways of approaching that as we battle our addiction in our lives, we can do the very same in, in our lives. 
if we try to handle the addictions on our own and by ourselves, it's kind of like using Roundup. We're going to rip out some of those weeds, but we're also going to kill some of the good things in our lives that we need to keep. Usually that's a relationship. I'm trying to wipe out one of my addictions. I'm going to go overboard and try to do that. And in the midst of that, someone's going to get hurt in that process. Instead of weed and feed where we get right, the addiction out and we keep the relationships going, we just blow it all up with Roundup. Right? We can't heal ourselves on our own. We've got to get God to be our weed and feed and take out the bad and keep the good. Or, sticking with the yard example, sometimes if you pull out a weed on your own successfully, another type of weed grows up in its place. That makes me really mad. <laughs> you're out there, you know, on your hands and knees and you're getting these weeds and something else comes in its place. Sometimes we can remove an addiction from our life and another one pops up because we haven't fixed the core problem in our heart. Right? I can stop drinking, but I might start smoking. Or I can stop smoking, and I might start vaping. Right? I can give up pornography, but I started an affair with someone at work. Right? We get one weed up, and another weed pops up. When we're using only ourselves to rely upon ourselves, we can't do it. We have to have God. We have to humble ourselves before God. We have to pray to God, God, I can't do this. I need you to remove my shortcomings. can't do it on my own. I'm going to round up it to death and I'm going to hurt people in the way. There's going to be another weed popping up, another addiction popping up because I haven't fixed the root cause in my life. What's the root cause for addictions? What's the root cause for brokenness in our lives? Let's talk about that for a second. Inside of every one of us, there is a hole inside of our soul. And it's, it's created inside of us for God to fill. We're supposed to be in this relationship with God. We're supposed to have this loving relationship. And so there's something inside of us that the only way it's going to be satisfied is to allow God into our lives, into our hearts, into our souls, whatever you want to call it, right? To let God in, right? And unless God fills that space inside of us, then we're always going to be restless and there's always going to be something missing in our lives. And we usually make one of two mistakes. One of the mistakes is we try to place something in place of God, right? I want to feel good about my life, and so I love my work. I'm going, to, I'm going to put that in the hole, right? I'm going to focus on my work. I'm going to focus on my job, right? Working is great, right? But if we, if we place something that we love in place of God, it becomes what? It becomes an idol, something that we worship, right? So a lot of times we will take good things in life and make them our gods. I love my work. That's where I get my meaning. I get my meaning in my relationship with my wife or my husband or my children or my grandchildren. I get meaning and success, right? Well, we can get different types of meaning, but if we're replacing God with those things in our lives, they become idols in our lives and we're left wanting more and we get into trouble and we start doing negative things in our lives like addictions. Now, the other approach is that we feel empty inside of our lives. We feel broken because there's an absence and we don't know what that is. And so we try to feel that pain or that absence or that brokenness with things to make us feel better. And that's where the addictions come in. There's something missing in my life and, 
and I can't find it anywhere. So I'm gonna try to medicate that with alcohol. I'm gonna try to medicate that with prescription drugs. I'm gonna try to medicate that with gambling. I wanna medicate that by talking negatively about other people so that I feel better about myself. We don't consciously think that, but that's what we do. And so that emptiness inside of us where God should be and nothing else fills, we begin to medicate it and we become addicted. And those addictions hurt us and they hurt other people. And so we have to say to God, take this stuff out of me. I need you to be in, in that hole in my life, in my soul. Do you know what that feels like? Substituting something for God is not the answer. And that leads us to brokenness. And so we have to pray and ask God to come in and to fill us and to make that right. And once we begin to experience God in our lives, it's kind of like we've been eating junk food our whole lives and we finally eat like a real meal right? You've been eating greasy burgers your whole life, and then you go to State 48 down the street, right? It's just this amazing meal, or, or you get this gourmet salad, and, and once you've tasted a, a gourmet meal, you don't want to have junk food anymore, right? Once we experience the forgiveness of Jesus, once we experience the grace of God, once we experience God in our lives, the addictions, they don't do it anymore, right? The good stuff in our lives Right, that we've, we've gotten out of proportion, right? It doesn't do us anything anymore, right? We're tired of eating junk food and we want to have what Jesus says, the bread of life inside of us. Right? This is powerful stuff. Right? This, this describes our lives when, when we're away from God, how we get caught up in addictions and, and brokenness and broken relationships. When Jesus says, I want you to eat of the bread of life. I want you to have what's good. I want you to put that into your life right and so we say to God help me remove my shortcomings remove my addictions remove the things God that are blocking me from being in a relationship with you and being in a relationship with people and so that's where we ask God we just can't do it on our own we're going to round up it to death we're going to damage relationships and we're going to replace it with other addictions and other weeds God we need you to remove this from us and God is ready to do that and to forgive us and, and to give us joy and peace and take away guilt and shame and to give us life to the full and life forever in the kingdom of God. And that's what we're talking about today, right? So there's one other component to this that we talked about last week. We talked about two different systems. We talked about how there's a system of grace, which means that we get what we don't deserve, we deserve hell, we deserve death, we deserve guilt, we deserve shame because we do wrong things against each other and we do wrong things against God. But God says, I don't want to give you what you deserve. I want to give you what you don't deserve. I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to love you and I'm going to give you a life that is full and full of joy and happiness and you're going to live forever in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. And that's the good news, right? We get things from God that we don't deserve. We also talked about a system of merit. That's the way that the world works. You get what you, de what you deserve, right? If you, if you break a law, there's a consequence. If you cheat on a test and you get caught, there's a consequence, right? You get what you deserve, right? That's the way that our world works. God says, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve instead of what you do deserve, and we're glad for that. But there's still something in our lives that we have to wrestle with with this system of merit, Right, and in this case, we need to think about the people that we hurt in our lives. The people that our addictions spill over into their lives and hurt them. The people that we just blatantly 
do horrible things to, the people that, that we need to ask for their forgiveness, right? As, as we think about that, right, we need them, right, to give us some grace, right? We need their forgiveness, but they also deserve something from us. They deserve an apology. They deserve to know that we're sorry. They deserve for us to try to make things right. God forgives us, absolutely. But the Bible also teaches that we need to think about how other people need to forgive us as well. Right? So we want to think about that today. And we want to think about how we can help other people forgive us. And maybe in doing so, we might find a way even to forgive ourselves over things that we still feel guilty about. That God's forgiven us, but there's probably somebody in our life who's not forgiven us for something that we've done. So I want to think about that for a minute. I want us to think about that. God forgives us absolutely. Takes away our guilt, takes away our shame, takes away our death, takes away our hell, gives us joy and life to the full and life forever. But there's still some things that we need to make right. There's still some things in the system of merit that we need to make right with people that we've hurt. So check out this quote from Richard Rohr that I think is pretty powerful. Our family, friends, and enemies are not as kind or patient as God. They need a clear accounting to be free and to go ahead with their lives. Often they just need to talk it through, to hear our understanding, and maybe our sincere apology. Usually they need to offer their understanding of the situation and how it hurt them. Neither side needs to accuse or to defend, but just to state the facts as we remember them and be open to hear what the other needed, heard, or felt. It is developed into a true art form, and some rightly call it redemptive listening or nonviolent communication. And that sounds wonderful, but we're pretty terrible at it, aren't we? I am. I don't know about you, but I think our world is pretty terrible at this. Stemming from the fight with your brother or sister in the back seat of the car with your parents over the invisible line right down the middle where you crossed over that, to Vladimir Putin bombing the hell out of the Ukraine. Terrible at this. God forgives us, and that's great. Right? But what about the other person that we've damaged, and they see God forgive us, and our guilt taken away, and our shame taken away, and giving life to the full? How do they feel about that? Because we haven't made things right with them, and God wants us to make things right with them as best that we can. Let's stay in the Gospel of Matthew, stay with the words of Jesus, and see what he says to us today. Matthew chapter 5. We started in 7, went to 6, we're going to 5, we're working our way back in Matthew. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, basically, if you're worshiping, South Park Church, if you're worshiping in person, you're worshiping online, if you're worshiping upstairs, right? And remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Stop worshiping. Get out, go home, stop. Right? First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. God takes it very seriously what we do to each other. He's like, I'm glad that you want to worship me, but if there's something between you and somebody else, go and make things right. This is powerful stuff. This is the hard part of it. Like it 
the economy of grace and, and being forgiven for things that we don't deserve to be given from, we're on board for that, right? But as we think about how we've hurt other people and how we need to make things right, right? That's hard, and we're going to need God's help for that too, right? This is going to be a very difficult thing to do, right? So what? What's the next step? What's the point here? Right? This is step eight in the 12-step process. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. all right, let's leave that up for a second, Debbie. We're not going to them yet. We're simply making a list. We made a list of all the persons that we have harmed in our lives that we know and became willing to make amends to them all. Became willing, right? This is a process. There are people in the 12-step program who literally take years to get to this point, step eight. Because it's hard. It's hard to face the people that we've heard. It's hard to make that list. It's hard to get to the point where we're willing to go back to them and say, I'm sorry for what I've done to you. But it is so important. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. I want you to think about somebody in your life who has hurt you very deeply. And then they never apologized to you. Never admitted they did anything wrong, acted if they didn't owe you anything. How did that make you feel? Terrible, right? Terrible. Then I want you to think about the people in your life that have hurt you and they've apologized, but you know they're lying through their teeth. You know they're so full of it. It's not a sincere, genuine apology. How does that make you feel? Makes you feel worse. It makes you want to go punch them in the face, right? Now think about how you've made people feel like that or you've harmed them and God's forgiven you but you haven't asked them to forgive you. God's forgiven you but you go give them a half-hearted or a fake apology. That's what we're talking about here. This is the powerful stuff where we say, God, I'm going to need some help to make this list. I'm going to need some real help to become willing to do something about it. I like the free grace, God. I like the forgiveness that I have between me and you. It was hard enough admitting what was wrong, right, and asking for some help. But now this is taking it to another step. I, my first church that I served, I had a lady in my church named Estelle, and she come up to me after some sermons, and she's like, you know, you moved from preaching into meddling in my life. <laughs> God's meddling in our life with this, isn't he? Another quote from Richard Rohr. It is a self-cerning concern to alleviate just your own guilt. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I, you know, God's ready to take away our guilt. God's ready to take away our shame. That's good, but it can become self-serving if we don't think about the other person. It is a loving question to say, how can I free other people from their guilt? How can I help someone right, find peace? How can I find, help someone find peace for something that I did to them? powerful stuff something that we should wrestle with right we talked about how if we don't transform our pain we transfer it to other people right if someone is still bitter about the way that we've treated them and we haven't made an apology we haven't made an amends they might take that pain and they might pass it on to someone else and they might pass it on to someone else we've got to stop the cycle right we've got to do everything in our power to do that so again, for a summary of what we've talked about today, and thank you guys for hanging in there, right? 
It doesn't just work if we try to unlock ourselves, but don't unlock the other person. And we go to the next slide. These are our two main points of the day. We humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings, right? God be the weed and feed, take care of the bad stuff, leave the good stuff. I don't want to take out one weed and have it replaced with another. I don't want to get rid of one addiction and have it replaced with another. God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. It's okay to pray. It's okay to ask for help. Lord, change me, right? That's good. And then we made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So what I'd like to challenge you to do, and again, thank you for sticking in with this. This is Lent. This is hard stuff, but it's good stuff, and it will lead us good places. All right, these are some things I invite you to think about this week and, and maybe months, maybe years. Again, this is, this is a process. Ask God to remove your shortcomings. God, I'm addicted to this. God, this is weighing me down. God, I can't do it on my own. I don't want to mess up my life anymore. I can't do it without you. Lord, take them away. We've listed them. We've talked about them. Take it from me. Lord, I'm praying. I'm asking. Change me. And then make a list of people that you've hurt in the past. And pray for willingness to make amends. We're not going to them. We're not talking to them. We're making a list. And we want to pray, Lord, change my heart. Transform me. I can't do it, right? Lord, get these weeds out of my heart. Give me some good grass in my heart. I want to stop eating junk food. I want to start eating the bread of life. Pray for willingness to make amends, right? And then those of us who are using the companion journal work through chapters 7 and 8. We've got some really good follow-up questions and some things to think about. I want to talk just a little, little bit of geometry today. I want to show you a picture of the cross as we think about this, and I want to think about, there's two beams. There's the beam that goes straight up and down, and that's vertical, and that, that can symbolize our relationship to God, right? Pointing straight to God. We want to be in a right relationship to God. Right? Jesus died, and he came back to life so that we can be in a right relationship to God. We can be forgiven our wrongdoing, right? Our guilt and shame taken away, replaced with joy and peace, live life to the full now, live forever in the kingdom of God. This is the good news, right? This is what we celebrate. God gives us that. It's, it's ours for the taking because of what Jesus did. And that's what we've been talking about. We're going to keep talking about it. That's the good news. But then there's that bar that goes horizontally, right? And that can be symbolized our relationships with people, with each other, right? We're vertical with God, but we live in a world with each other, right? And we talked about at the beginning of the sermon today, the, the paradox of God being 100% God and 100% human because God became flesh. That's called the incarnation. God came to dwell among us and die on a cross, right? We live in relationship, human relationships with each other. God is among us. We are, we are flesh and blood people and we've hurt each other. So it's not just enough for us to be reconciled with God vertically, God says we need to be reconciled horizontally with each other. It takes both. And that's what step seven and step eight are teaching us. It's about us and God, and it's about us and each other. Who have we hurt? Who's mad at us? Who hates us? Who's not in a good relationship with God because we've messed their lives up or we've become a stumbling block in their lives? One more scripture. This is from the New Testament. This is from 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates their brother or sister is still in the darkness. Let's leave that up for a second, please, Debbie. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates their brother or sister is still in the darkness. 
So for those of us who are reconciled to God, we should be able to say, I don't like some people, but I don't hate them, right? right? We, we want to step into the light. We want to be forgiving of other people. We want to confess things to God. We want to work through our addictions, right? We want to live in the light. But could somebody be in the darkness because they hate us, because they hate you, because they're not happy with you, because you did something wrong to them, and you hurt them, and you haven't apologized, you haven't made amends, you're cool with God, but you're not cool with them. And maybe they're living in the darkness because you haven't taken a step towards them. Now, we can't be responsible for their actions. We can't be responsible for their salvation. We can't be responsible. Sometimes we have to forgive people who don't ask for it because there are going to be people who don't ask for it. But those of us who follow Jesus should be able to go to people and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. Could somebody be in darkness because of the way that they feel towards us because of what we did to them? Again, we're not responsible for their feelings or their actions, but have we become a stumbling block because we haven't sought to make amends with them? It's not just about us stepping into the light, but it's about us helping people step into the light that we have harmed. But can you imagine what the world would be like if we did that? If we stepped into the light of Jesus and we helped the people that we'd hurt step into the light of Jesus, the news would be a different thing. Relationships between you and and your neighbors and your friends and your family and your colleagues would be a different thing. It would be a better and a blessed world. So today I'm inviting you to step into the light of Jesus, but also to help people in your life that you've harmed take a step towards the light of Jesus as well. Think and pray on that in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.